A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad that you've joined us on the program today. Coming up here in a matter of mere moments, we'll be talking with Mark Oliver from the National Shooting Sports Foundation about the uh, threats that might emerge in a potential Joe Biden administration. Now, hey, listen, we we still don't know for certain who the next president is going to be, but uh, for the purposes of this interview, we are going to um, go on the working theory that uh, Joe Biden is going to be the next president. I know that the uh, court challenges continue uh, and the election outcome is still up in the air, but uh, I, I think the most likely scenario at this point uh, would be Joe Biden becoming the next president in a, uh, a divided Congress as well, uh, with Nancy Pelosi holding a narrow House majority. And I mean, I got to tell you, you know, it, right now, Republicans are at 50 seats uh, in the Senate. Tom Tillis uh, declared the uh, winner in North Carolina. Dan Sullivan declared the winner in Alaska. So Republicans need to pick up one of two of the Georgia Senate seats in the runoff. Coming up on January the 5th, I did see we saw our first polling in that race. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm not going I'm, to I'm not going to mention this poll because why? After how off the polling was over the course of this election, I'm not going to be paying too much attention to the polls in Georgia, uh, no matter if they look good or bad uh, for the pro-gun crowd. The most important thing is to, uh, at this point, uh, make sure that every gun owner you know is registered to vote. Uh, and then from there, making sure that every gun owner gets out the vote, uh, either in the uh, early voting, which begins November 18th, uh, or on Election Day itself, which will be uh, January 5th for the runoff election. So we're, we're going under the assumption, uh, and I know that that's all that it is at this point, an assumption that Biden will be in the White House, Republicans will control the Senate, and uh, Democrats will control the House. That, that That's the assumption that I'm working on. Uh, the other uh, assumption or the other, you know, uh, a likely scenario would be that uh, it's a 50-50 Senate. Let's say that uh, Democrats win both of those seats in Georgia. Then it's a 50-50 Senate. You got Kamala Harris casting a tie-breaking vote. Yeah, that opens up all other kinds of uh, cans of worms. But uh, for the purposes of this conversation with Mark Oliver from the National Shooting Sports Foundation, uh, we're going to uh, uh, work on the, uh, the, the sort of uh, hypothetical theory here that uh, Congress will not be an amenable place for Joe Biden's gun ban plans. And if that comes to pass, then what are the biggest threats that we could be looking at from a Biden administration? That's what we talked about with Mark Oliver from the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Take a look and a listen. Hey, Mark, thank you so much, sir, for coming on the program. It's good talking with you today. Hey, it's great to see you again, Cam. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Um, you know, look, we're still sort of in uncharted territory right now. We don't know for certain uh, who the next president is going to be. But, you know, the odds are, I think, that uh, it's going to be Joe Biden in the White House here in a couple of months. Um, and while, you know, it looks like uh, Biden is going to have a really difficult time with his legislative agenda, at least in the early going, Elections have consequences, Mark. And, uh, you know, Biden has talked about not only passing anti-gun bills, but using the power of the executive branch uh, to go after not just gun owners, but the firearms industry as well. What are you all really worried about uh, at NSSF at the moment? 
Well, I'll tell you, the things that we're watching, of course, are the election returns. We're continuing to watch the challenges to the presidential election and see what that's going to mean to us. We're monitoring that fairly closely. We're also monitoring the congressional returns. Those are still out. And what we've seen with the congressional returns is they just announced that uh, Senator Sullivan has, has clinched his seat. Uh, so we're looking at 50 Republicans in the Senate. Uh, if we you know, look forward to these results of what's going to happen in Georgia with the two runoffs, if we can maintain uh, uh, Senator Loeffler and Senator Perdue in, in Georgia in their seats, then that means that we have a 52-seat majority for pro-industry and pro-gun uh, uh, interest in the Senate. And that's going to be a, a, a huge hurdle for anything that the Biden, a possible Biden administration would want. Uh, everything's going to stop right there that they're going to try and push across. We fully expect that they're going to see uh, continuing bills that are going to come out of the House. Uh, and Nancy Pelosi pushed those bills in the last Congress. She'll push them again in this Congress. The majority that she has in the House is much slimmer, so it's going to be a little bit uglier fight over there. We're already watching some infighting uh, in the House. Uh, but but really what we are concerned about is if there is a Biden administration, is there are things that uh, that a possible President Biden could do around the edges through regulation and through executive order. And those are things that we're very concerned about, and they could have uh, very deep impacts. But I think the important thing that we're trying to tell everyone from the industry's perspective is you have to take Joe Biden at his word. And the first thing that I kind of point to is Back in July of 2019, on the debate stage in the primaries, Joe Biden stood there and he wagged his finger at America and said, the firearm industry, the manufacturers are, quote unquote, the enemy. So if he's telling us we're the enemy, the industry that provides America the means to exercise their Second Amendment rights, we have to take that very seriously. We have to understand that he's coming after us in any way possibly can. And he laid that out in his gun control agenda, which is by far the most strident and far-reaching radical anti-gun agenda that's ever been proposed to voters. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and, and I think you're right that you do have to take Biden at his word. And he has talked about the firearms industry being the enemy, which is, you know, again, I think a lot of people may have forgotten that because it happened back in 2019. But think about that for a second. I mean, we have just witnessed, and I know NSSF has estimated, what, 7 million Americans becoming gun owners for the very first time this year. So clearly Americans don't view the Second Amendment uh, as uh, as some sort of outdated part of the Constitution, and they don't view the firearms industry as their enemy uh, because they're relying on the firearms industry to help protect themselves and their families, their loved ones. Uh, you know, you, you talk about some of the actions that Biden can do, and I know that we're already seeing reports that uh, maybe members of the ATF have already reached out to the Biden administration uh, talking about pistol braces. I know that this is an issue that obviously has come up over the past couple of months. Um, but what are some of the, uh, the the specific areas that you're concerned about? Is you know Are the pistol braces uh, issue, uh, is that something that uh, you're concerned about? Uh, importation of semi-automatic firearms? What are some of the, what are some of the things that, uh, that you're really watching closely right now? Sure. I think that he can easily do things through regulation if he wants to try and do that. And that's what we're watching. Uh, from the industry's perspective, we are concerned that he could try and roll back some of the changes that were made to imports and exports of firearms. Uh, things that made it much, uh, much more even field playing field for our manufacturers here in the U.S. to do business worldwide. Uh, we recently saw that suppressors were going to be made to be much easier to export to other countries. Again, we're not talking about changing laws in other countries. Gun control laws in those stay the same. 
But again, we have much stricter laws when it comes to suppressors here in America than they do in European countries. In Norway, it's required that you use a suppressor. You can buy them in a hardware store over the counter without a background check because it's simply a muffler for a gun. And we know that. So we're watching those things. We're also watching what he could do around the edges on and as far as firearm ownership. Now, again, he sat down with, with CNN's Anderson Cooper and Anderson Cooper asked him, would you confiscate? America's AR-15s. And there are nearly 20 million of these in circulation today. Mm -hmm. So when he's talking about confiscation, you know, his immediate answer was, bingo, I'll do it because they should be illegal, period. And then he went on to say, well, there's no really legal way I could do that. Well, since that interview in 2019, he's explored ways that he could try to do that. And one of the proposals he has is to take the semi-automatic rifle, the AR-15, and classify that under the 1934 National Firearms Act which would put that in the same category as short barrel rifles, suppressors, and automatic firearms, machine guns. So now we're asking those 20 million people who own AR-15s, now they're going to have to go back and submit photos, fingerprints, pay a $200 tax stamp, submit to another background check, and wait more than nine months, because we already know it takes about nine months now for your paperwork to come back for for a suppressor check or anything else under under the 1934 NFA. And then come back and go through another background check to already own what you have legally purchased and already passed background checks to own. So, now, do you looking, think? Yeah, I'm sorry, I want to interrupt here, but uh, is that something that is that a step you really think Biden could take administratively without legislation? Just try to get the ATF to to reclassify semi-automatic firearms under the National well, Firearms Act? Well, I think he's looking at it. He's trying to see how he can do that. Now, again, the 1934 National Firearms Act is law. It is a is a law that has been passed by Congress. So to change that law, you would have to go back through Congress, through what you and I would expect. Mm-hmm. He's looking at ways to see if he can get around that. And we're going to take him very seriously. He's going to try and do that and try and find a way to get that done. Again, he also wants to institute a state-by-state, all 50 states, licensing scheme because he knows he can't put you and I on a, on a national gun registry, the 1986 Firearms Protection Act says that you can't do that. So he wants the states to do that for him. So he's going to pressure the states to adopt a licensing scheme. So you have to go pay the state, get permission from the state to get a license to own the guns that you already lawfully own if you're in a state that doesn't require a firing license. So that would create your national registry only through 50 separate lists that the federal government would be able to access. And we're very concerned about the idea of being put on lists when it comes to being a firearms owner, especially when you have firebrands like Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, who says she wants everybody who didn't support her agenda and voted for Trump to be put on a list so that they could be outed. Outed for what? Right. Yeah, exactly. And and I'll be honest with you, you when it comes to those state licensing laws, this is something that I'm concerned about in Virginia uh, because, you know, look, we've got a lot of gun owners, but unfortunately we've got a Democratic governor. We've got a Democrat-controlled legislature. uh, And if Biden's Department of Justice starts tossing around grants left and right to try to get these states to uh, impose licensing restrictions. You know, next year is an election year in Virginia. I think it would be a very difficult choice for Democrats to make to accept that money and to try to impose a, a gun licensing law in Virginia. But I don't put it past them. Uh, and this is something that gun owners need to take seriously. You're absolutely right, Kim. I don't put anything past the legislature and the governor's office in Virginia. We saw what happened uh, last year. Uh, Michael Bloomberg poured in billions into the state to turn to flip the legislature for gun control. He got every single one of his gun control agenda items except 
for the, the, the barring and the banning of AR-15s or modern exploring rifles and suppressors. He tried really hard to do that. And that was only stopped by a couple of votes in the state Senate. Mm-hmm. And they said, that's a bridge too far. We just can't do that. And that came from, from state senators on the Democratic side out on the western end of the state who live in some of these very rural counties. They have already said that they will attack this again in January when they come back and reconvene for the next session. So we're being very vigilant of these things. They got nearly everything they wanted, and they're going to try and finish out what they wanted. And I believe that they'll probably try to go for more if they can. I think you're right. And again, I mean, this isn't just Virginia. Uh, Democrats had big plans for the rest of the country. You know, Michael Bloomberg spent tens of millions of dollars not only trying to, uh, well, he spent a billion dollars trying to get himself elected president, spent hundreds of millions trying to get Biden elected president, but he spent tens of millions around the country trying to flip state legislatures. Thankfully, uh, the gun vote turned out and, you know, he, he was not able to make legislative gains. But if you live in one of these states like New Mexico, for example, uh, or Nevada or California or Oregon, Washington State, uh, you know, a, a state that has a Democrat governor and a Democratic uh, legislature, you really need to be paying close attention because you're right. Those anti-gun politicians are going to have a staunch ally in a potential Biden administration. Uh, and, you know, Biden will try to do everything they can. We know that gun owners or excuse me, we know that gun control groups, they're not going away. Uh, they didn't get the results that they wanted on election night, but they're not packing up their tent and going home. They're now going to be looking at the most advantageous route to get their agenda uh, into practice, whether it's through regulation, whether it's through legislation, through litigation. Uh, and gun owners have got to be involved and engaged here. You're absolutely right. And we saw that the gun control groups put out their press releases. Immediately after Joe Biden claimed victory to the White House, they put out their press release congratulating him. And then also under that was a laundry list of every item that they wanted to include bans on, on semi-automatic modern sporting rifles. One of those things that they still want to push for is the repeal of the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, which protects the industry against frivolous lawsuits so that when someone commits a crime, you can't come back after the manufacturer and sue the manufacturer for the crime committed by an individual. That'd be like going to Stu Ford because somebody killed somebody in a drunk driving accident. So this law is is very important. And Biden said he wants to repeal that law. You know that they're going to go after this in the states. They're already filing lawsuits under this, knowing that the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act is out there protecting the industry from these frivolous lawsuits. But they're continuing to challenge it anyway. They're going to chip at the edges everywhere they possibly can. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and last question, I want to get your thoughts on this, because we've seen you brought up Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez earlier. Uh, we saw Virginia Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger uh, really lay into uh, AOC in a, a post-election caucus uh, teleconference where Spanberger said, look, you know, I had attack ads uh, you know, saying that I wanted to defund the police. We cannot talk about defunding the police. We can't talk about socialism or, or uh, you know, moderate swing district Democrats like me are going to lose our seats in 2022. You've got this, uh, you know, intranicing uh, a battle over the uh, the heart and soul of the Democratic Party right now. But do you see the gun control debate playing a role in that, or, or you know, I mean, like even quote unquote moderate Democrats like Spanberger were embraced by Every Town for Gun Safety. Uh, they had the backing of you know Michael Bloomberg. So is 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 that a, even a part of the 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 intra party fight among Democrats, or are in your opinion Democrats? in lockstep when it comes to the uh, the anti-gun policies that, uh, that Biden's proposed? Well, I think what we're watching right now with the Democratic Party is a bit of navel-gazing, and not that it's not unwarranted. I think they really do need to go back and understand 
why they embraced some of these issues and what that what that meant to them and, and the seats that it cost them. Um, when we talk about gun control, it kind of goes hand in hand with what we saw with the calls to defund police. So they want to defund police and they also want to take away your ability to protect yourself. And if we look at the gun sales over the past year, again, the National Shooting Sports Foundation has estimated that there are 17.2 million background checks so far in 2020. And that has by far shattered the record of 2016 at 15.7 million. 17.2 million times at, at a minimum, they've gone, people in America have gone out and bought a gun. And again, like we talked about earlier, 7 million people of those, uh, 7 million of those have been people who bought a gun for the very first time. Why did they buy a gun? Our surveys have indicated that people are buying guns because they're concerned for their safety. And again, we're not talking about people who just necessarily look like you and I. The face of the gun owner is changing. We saw that the biggest increase of any demographic group was among African Americans, increased 58% from 2019 to 2020. We see that 40% of the people who are buying guns today are women. So people who are buying guns are looking a whole lot less like me and more like the rest of America. And people are buying guns because they're concerned for their safety. And when you start talking about defunding police and limiting access to, to essential services that are going to protect you and your family, it is absolutely your right as a law-abiding citizen of America to be able to take up the right to keep and bear arms protect yourself and your family. And that's what we're watching. So when they start talking defunding police, it goes hand in hand with gun control. You can't embrace both and expect America to stand by and just be a willing victim. They're not going to do it. Absolutely. Mark Oliver with the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Thank you, my friend, for coming on the program, sir. It's good talking with you today. Always good talking to you, Kim. Thanks so much. You know, what I was trying to get at there with that last question, and I, I probably didn't phrase it where, uh, very well with uh, with Mark, is that you know, when it comes to this intra-party fight right now, the navel gazing that Mark talked about uh, on the part of Democrats and, you know, gosh, with these extreme agendas just don't play well. I think it's incumbent on us as gun owners to make the case constantly that Joe Biden's anti-gun agenda is part of the uh, the extremism that Americans rejected on Election Day. We did not see that big blue wave in congressional races. We didn't see Democrats take back control of the Senate. Again, all of those pre-election plans that Democrats had uh, had come up with were contingent on the idea of this massive turnout among Democrats. Now, look, they did get a massive turnout, but so did Republicans. Looks like this is going to be the highest turnout election in at least 100 years in the United States on both sides. So, no, this was not an election that all of a sudden validated all of the claims by Democrats that Americans really just want to embrace these common sense gun bans and magazine bans and other items that would turn millions of Americans into criminals. That's not what they voted for. But it is up to us as gun owners, because the media is not going to do it for us. It's up to us as gun owners to point out what would happen if Biden were somehow able to use the regulatory power and the administrative power of the executive branch to suddenly turn every semi-automatic firearm into an NFA item, possession of which that would be punished by 10 years in prison or a $250,000 fine. That's extreme. And again, that's not what Americans voted for. They didn't vote to put their neighbor in prison for continuing to possess the gun that they bought 12 years ago. But that's what the Biden administration would like to do. And that's what we're fighting against. Now, we didn't get into this with Mark, but, uh, you know, one other aspect of this is the fact that, for the moment anyway, 
Um, there is a, 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 I believe, a, a strong pro-Second Amendment majority now on the Supreme Court. Um, whether or not that would be able, would that be enough to uh, undo some of the administrative actions of the Biden administration? Probably not in every case, unfortunately. Uh, though I would like to think, again, if Biden did something as egregiously unconstitutional as all of a sudden placing the most commonly sold centerfire rifle in America off limits to the average American citizen, I would like to think that the Supreme Court, that would be a challengeable uh, act on the part of Joe Biden. And that's something that we could take to court. And that is a case that uh, I would like to think that the Supreme Court would take, particularly with uh, Justice Amy Comey Barrett on the bench. So, again, there is still so much that is unknown right now. We are still working again on various theories and scenarios. And, all right, if X happens, then what's Y and Z going to look like? But as Mark said, I mean, really the most important thing to do right now is to take Biden at his word that the firearms industry is his enemy, that the Second Amendment, in his view, is limited, uh, and that restricting the legal gun ownership in this country is going to be a bigger priority for the Biden administration, for a potential Biden administration, than actually targeting violent criminals. All right, on to our uh, good deed of the day, our armed citizen story, our recidivist report. We will start there with a, a story out of Arkansas where a uh, mental evaluation has been ordered um, for an Arkadelphia man arrested on multiple charges back in July after allegedly shooting two women at a Hot Springs, Arkansas apartment complex. 39-year-old Corey DeMond Smith is a convicted felon. He's remained in custody without bond since his arrest. He filed a uh, pro se motion in Garland County Circuit Court uh, seeking that mental health determination, as well as his criminal responsibility at the time of the shooting. And on Monday of this week, a, a judge granted his request, uh, but the uh, court will proceed with the uh, fitness to proceed evaluation um, uh, at, at this time. They're not going to determine his uh, criminal culpability, just basically look to see if he is uh, mentally fit to stand trial. According to the probable cause affidavit for uh, Smith's arrest on July 11th, shortly before 6 p.m., the Garland County Sheriff's Office got multiple calls about a shooting at an apartment complex indicating that two people had been shot. One caller stated that a female neighbor had been shot by her boyfriend who had also killed the apartment manager. Callers gave a description of the suspect vehicle, uh, and uh, Sheriff's deputies, uh, deputies spotted that vehicle a short time later as it was driving into Hot Springs. They tried to uh, make a traffic stop. Uh, Smith refused to uh, pull over to the side of the road, so there was a, a brief chase. Uh, ultimately, uh, he was uh, run off the road by uh, police officials taken into custody. Now, according to the uh, local paper there in Hot Springs, Arkansas, Smith was on parole at the time of his arrest back in July. Get this. According to court records, Smith was convicted of robbery on June fifteenth, two 2001, in Clark County, Arkansas, 19 years ago. He was sentenced to 40 years in prison 19 years ago. He also was convicted of second-degree escape in 2002, and he was sentenced to six more years in prison. So he had a 40-year prison sentence hanging over his head 19 years ago, and yet by 2012, 11 years into that 40-year sentence, Smith was out on the street, he was convicted of another felony in 2012, and he was sentenced to five years in prison, followed by five years probation. So, again, multiple opportunities 
to keep Mr. Smith behind bars for violent felonies. And it looks like in uh, the natural state of Arkansas, that simply never happened. Now, our armed citizen story of the day from Greeley, Colorado. I actually wrote this up for uh, Bearing Arms because I, I, I just I'm, I like this story. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's horrible that a man had to defend himself and others, but I'm so glad that he was able uh, to defend himself and others. The Greeley Tribune reporting on a, a burglary of the home of Bob, well, not even a burglary, a home invasion. Uh, at the residence of Bobby Destine, uh, this is Bobby uh, in the hospital after this uh, attempted home invasion. This happened on Sunday night. Strangers started knocking on Bobby's front door uh, and was uh, yelling, looking for money. Bobby didn't know the guy, so uh, he, he didn't let him in. In fact, he told one of the other uh, folks in the home, call 911. Uh, Bobby has a number of disabled individuals who are tenants of his home. And he wanted to be able to protect himself and them as well. So 911's called. Officers are on the way. But in the meantime, one of the other tenants arrives home. Uh, Bobby Destine opens up the door to let the tenant in. And that's when the uh, stranger runs inside, attacks Bobby Destine, shoves him to the ground. Bobby ends up hitting his, uh, falling into a stairs, bashing his elbow. That's why he ended up in the hospital. But then he drew his firearm. The stranger, rather than running away at the sight of the gun, pounced on Bobby Destine and began trying to uh, uh, get the gun from his hand. That's when Bobby Destine pulled the trigger and shot the intruder. Police arrived moments later, taking the intruder into custody. He was taken to a local hospital uh, for treatment of non-life-threatening injuries. Looks like Bobby Destine is going to recover as well. The uh, folks inside that home, not hurt. Bobby Destine, going to be okay. And the uh, would-be home invader. Well, once he gets out of the hospital, he's going to be facing criminal charges. So uh, hopefully this is a story with a happy ending. And finally today, our good deed of the day from the uh, state of Michigan, Auburn Hills, where a, a police officer, Ben Duggar, being praised for saving an unconscious driver after a, a fiery crash. You can see the aftermath uh, of that uh one vehicle crash there on uh, November the 7th. Ben Duggar was the uh, first officer on the scene there. He uh, used his fire extinguisher to put out the blaze, ultimately uh, gave the uh, extinguisher to a witness who continued using it while Duggar then tried to get the driver out of the car. Eventually, he was able to remove the unconscious driver from the vehicle, carry him away from the scene. Uh, reinforcements arrived soon after, assisted with life-saving efforts. The uh, driver transported local hospital. He remains in critical condition. Uh, but he is alive today. And a, a statement by the Auburn Hills Police Department says, Officer Duggar's actions represent the highest standards of professional law enforcement, and they likely resulted in preserving the life of its driver. Great job, Officer Duggar and the Charlie Platoon. So in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, Auburn Hills, Michigan Police Officer Ben Duggar, we thank you, sir, for your very good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I do want to remind you, though, we've also got a live chat coming up. At, well, actually, by the time you see this, the live chat will have taken place. However, it's okay if you missed it. Because if you're a VIP Gold member of Town Hall Media, you can get the live chat on demand. And you can see what Ed Morrissey and I are talking about in the aftermath of the election uh, and the uh, threats to our Second Amendment rights. Thank you again for being a part of the program today. Oh, by the way, if you want to use the uh, loyalty, if you want to use the promo code LOYALTY, 
You can sign up, become a VIP Gold member of Town Hall Media today, get 25% off. So, again, just use that promo code LOYALTY, all caps. Little 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 uh, little bonus for you. In the meantime, you can also subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube. That way you'll never miss one of these programs. Or if you like the podcast version, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all the big ones, you can find us there as well. We'll be back tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information. But in the meantime, be well, be safe, be free. And we'll see you soon with another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company.